so today I have with me Howard Bass, pastor of the Nachalat Yeshua congregation, which is Yeshua's in inheritance in English, all the way from Besheva, uh, Besheva. So welcome, Howard, and great to have you with us from sunny Israel. <laughs> yeah, thanks, David. Appreciate it. Um, so I thought we could kind of talk about how you found yourself in Besheva, and yeah, we could go from there, really. Okay, well, my wife and I uh, got married as not believers, unbelievers in 1980 uh, in April. We got saved in February of 81, 10 months later, and we arrived in Israel in September of 81, seven months after that. Um, we were in the Tanya when we first came because we had uh, an apartment to rent there from the owners of Jewish Voice in Phoenix, Arizona, if you've ever heard of them. Yeah, yeah. And they gave us the name of David and Lisa Logan uh, in the Tanya. So that's all we had to start with. So we were here as tourists. My wife didn't know yet that we were going to live here. Uh, I, I heard from the Lord and I said, well, you, you have to tell her, please. Uh, <laughs> That's the best prayer I've ever prayed, I think. And so after about a month in Israel, we were meeting other believers. We would ask Dave and Elisa, you know, who do you know in the Galilee? We're going here today. Who do you know in Jerusalem? We're going here today. Different places and just trying to meet believers. And when we were here about a month, Randy, my wife, understood that it was God's will that we should live in Israel. And it was better to obey him than not to obey him. So I was happy and he answered my prayer. And then we asked him, where do you want us to live? Because when I heard him say, go to Israel, he didn't say where in Israel. I had been here twice as an unbeliever uh, in the 70s after, as a tourist in 71, and as a volunteer to kibbutz after the Yom Kippur War in that period. But it wasn't home. It was important, Israel, but not home. So when I heard Jesus say, go to Israel, it became home. And it took us seven months, and then Randy, after a month, understood it was God's will. Then we asked him, where in Israel do you want us to live? And we had a few you know, conditions. We wanted to be in the Middle East. We didn't want to be in uh, Tel Aviv, uh, particularly. We didn't want to be where you had, where you didn't need to speak Hebrew, even if our Hebrew isn't so great, never was, and still isn't. But we didn't want to be somewhere where you didn't need Hebrew. Uh, we didn't want Jerusalem. It's too heavy spiritually. Uh, so anyway, Beersheba seemed to fit the uh, bill. We didn't know that at the time, just as we were traveling around the country, when we came to Beersheba and we met some other people here too. Um, in fact, Larry Goldberg was one of them and he helped Ken Burnett start Prayer for Israel by just telling him he can pray. Wow. And Ken was saying he didn't want to move to Israel. He didn't feel led to do that, but what could he do? Larry said, you can pray. So that's how that got started. <laughs> so. We both, Randy and I both somehow sensed, we don't know why, what made it different. We had been in Arizona for five months before we came. I'm sure God used that. We were living in the desert for five months before we came to Israel. I'm, I'm sure God used that to help us think about living in Beersheba. Hmm. So anyway, we did choose to live in Beersheba. We, we, we came down on our bicycles that we had brought with us from Netanya to Beersheba. And that's where we've been ever since. And that's been since uh, uh, 1982 in February. So one year after we got saved, we were in Beersheba. And we joined in with the local group that was already meeting together, uh, which included Larry Goldberg and his wife, Ayla. And we, we're still in that group. 
there's only one man left from that group who helped start the congregation with Larry back in 1972. We got here in 82. Mm -hmm. and it was called the Messianic Congregation uh, all those years. Uh, in 1995, another congregation started that was Russian speaking after all the Russian speakers were coming from the Soviet Union. And we knew we can't just be the Messianic Congregation in Beersheba. Uh, there are other congregations starting up. We need a name. So after I became the pastor in 2000, uh, we decided to have a name. You know, Abraham named all of his wells. Mm. You know, he didn't just say, well, this is my well, this is my well, this is my well. He said, this well is mine, it's called this. This well is mine, it's called this. Every family has names for their children, right? So you know your children from somebody else's children. Uh, and they know their parents from, from another set of parents. So yeah. to have a congregation with a name means something. Uh, if you think about why you're naming it. And it distinguishes you in some sense. Uh, so we call it Yeshua's inheritance, Nachalat Yeshua, which is who we are, you know, mm -hmm. in the Messiah, in Christ, it's who you are, it's who we are together. And that's part of, uh, that's part of the identity that we have, you know, and we are uh, one new man. So it doesn't matter who God is saving and brings them in together. We become together Yeshua's inheritance. And um, so we have always had this thinking that we are a mixed multitude, you know, from every tribe, tongue, nation, group, people group. And we try to uh, provide translations as much as we're able to. We translate now to three languages, Russian, Spanish, and English. Uh, but we've always done that. There's always been a need. You're in a desert. There's not lots of choices. You know, you can't just, you always have new immigrants coming. You'll always have old people who don't learn the language or people who have a hard time with language. So we're dependent on translations, but you can't guarantee you'll have a good translator. Just yeah. because you know Hebrew doesn't mean you know the, the Hebrew of the Bible, you know, or the Hebrew of the faith. So to have someone who can translate and again, with people different accents, you know, different syntax, sometimes what you're coming from, wherever language group you're coming from. So it's been a very big challenge and part of the frustration as well. Yeah. But it's, uh, we just said, you know, the Lord will be glorified. It's clear none of us can make this work on our own. He's going to have to make it work. And uh, here we are still uh, 50 years later from that beginning in 72. And uh, I thank the Lord for that. And I'm hoping until he comes, I mean, I don't think we can still meet in the way we do now until he comes. I think there'll be persecution, but... Hmm. Uh, until we simply cannot meet together in a certain kind of a way, I'm hoping he will continue to help us to uh, to do what he's called us to be. So this is something that's been uh, very special. Uh, we do have lots of people coming and going. Very few people are like us, where we were led to choose to live in Beersheba. So it's been home. We haven't looked for another place. We haven't thought of moving. We're not thinking, oh, Lord, we'd like to be in greener pastures and you know there's a lot more opportunities here this is home mm -hmm. very few people choose Beersheba as home uh, and so we're really trusting the Lord to put it on their hearts that this will be their home you know the people growing up here who, who, who know the language who know the culture who know what it's, what it's like to live in a country that's against your faith uh, so that the future of the congregation would be in their hands more and they can uh, help take it on but they're committed to living in Beersheba uh, as well as to this congregation. 
so this is still my prayer because it's not a settled matter yet um yeah so but it's where you know it's what i'm looking at uh as i get older but also as these young people who have grown up here are just more naturally suited um but to get the maturity they need and uh experience that they will need so that they can be uh take on more leadership and i can well we'll see however the lord decides i wouldn't be in there in that situation anymore sure <clears throat> sure um so i'm just i wanted to ask about your congregation as well a bit how have you seen a, a good amount of people coming in to join it has there been a lot of growth recently or is how is that kind of fared well actually uh i can't say a lot you know israel is still sort of uh, last, it was first among the nations, it's going to be last among the nations. Uh, but we have had since COVID, a few other families who have joined us. They were already believers though, they, they just decided to join our congregation. Um, and that's been good. Uh, but they don't live right in Beersheba, they live about half an hour away in Steer Road. You probably have heard of Steer Road on the Gaza yeah. border. Uh, so they're coming in, so they can't be really active throughout the week but they are coming in for the uh, Shabbat services. But the, but the congregation has grown since COVID. We have maybe 120 people coming now to a Shabbat service when everybody's around. Uh, there's always conferences and camps and then summer times coming up. But if we're all here, it's about 120 right now. And that's more than we would have on a consistent basis before COVID. So uh, we thank the Lord for that and just trust him that it won't be just numbers, you know, the numbers themselves mm -hmm. aren't the big thing. So we're hoping that he's going to get, uh, you know, the fruit that he wants from it and not just more people showing up. Uh, yeah. if you have people who are coming who are not believers, like even have teenagers and families who are not all believers. You may have some adults who come and they're not necessarily believers. So there's always a need to evangelize, you know, yeah. within the congregation as well um, and to challenge people to, uh, you know, repent and believe the gospel today and wait until tomorrow. So we have that. It's, um, but we have, the congregation has five men who will teach. Mm -hmm. uh, I used to be the you know, primary teacher and I'm still the primary teacher and it has to fall on me if something else should happen. Uh, but we have, but I would have other people teach if I were, let's say travel. You know, if I were going to a conference in England, for instance, okay. I'd leave somebody back here to do the teaching while I was gone. And I'm thinking, why should I only do that when I'm not there? Maybe I can learn something from them. And also I can hear what they're teaching. <laughs> uh, so I decided to let other people teach while I am there. Uh, plus it's like the Bible. You have lots of prophets that God used. You have lots of uh, apostles and writers of the New Testament that God used. So you don't just need one teacher. There's yeah. a, you know, he speaks in different ways through different ones, but we need to all be clear about who we're talking about you know and that the word of god is true and it's truth and that we can uh, be certain about that and not doubting whether that's the case and again today as you know a lot of people doubt whether the bible is the word of god whether mm -hmm. it's authoritative and whatever he talks about which is most things uh and so you're you're still trusting the lord to help us be clear to help us be understood enough and that people would take an interest and ask questions if they need to, you know, not just listen to something and not get it. But we also tell them, you need to check the scriptures yourself. That's your responsibility. We may, some, we may say something that's not exactly right sometimes, 
Uh, we hope we're in the spirit of truth, but we might not get everything exactly right. So if you know something that's a bit off uh, or that's veering off, well, let us know. Um, that's your responsibility, you know, who, who are listening. That just, oh, I heard my pastor teach this. So there, no, no, you have, you're responsible for what you're listening to and who you're listening to. You need yeah. to be able to know it yourself and not just because you heard it from uh, the pastor or the teacher. So we have, uh, uh, you know, the congregations always had, thankfully, a children's program, a good children's program, uh, teens program, young adults. And now we have soldiers, you know, over the last years, and it's been a, something to help them through this, those times. Uh, you know, there are prayer meetings and house groups and whatever. These are all just normal things. It's not always simple when everybody can speak one language. Uh, so you have to break up sometimes into language groups. And then you may not necessarily have somebody, though, to, to oversee that group uh, effectively. Yeah. Uh, so this is just one of the things we have to trust the Lord for because we can't control everything. And we just need to uh, let people, you know, everyone in the fear of God, again, you can keep that keep that before you as you're, as you're praying and as you're talking to each other and sharing with each other and praying for each other. Uh, so this is something we've tried to be a bit loose about. You know, we have, there are three elders. I'm one of those elders. Uh, we have a couple of deacons. We are seeking other deacons right now, but we'll see people's time priorities and what they're doing in life don't necessarily make them available for what's required to be officially, you know, a deacon uh, or elder. Um, but we, you know, but we're not, we aren't, in a hierarchical sense, we're not, you know, there's a line here, you know, the elders are the only ones who can do this. And, you know, the rest of you, you cannot do those things. It depends on what we're talking about. You, the Lord's Supper will even allow non-elders to, to conduct or lead the Lord's Supper, uh, participate in it. If they're a mature person, I don't see any reason why not. Uh, even for baptism, sometimes we'll have non-elders involved in baptizing somebody. Uh, so it's, it's uh, we're a bit loose in that way but we try to make people realize you still need to honor those who have the rule over you in the Lord. That's what the scriptures teaches. Uh, some people are given to do that. It's not so hard for them. Other people have a very hard time with that and uh, don't see why uh, that they have to do that. So yeah. we're like anybody else. We're not exempt from all the problems. We're not unique and everything's fine. Uh, we're not a Philadelphia church in the full sense that everybody wants to say, ah, this is our church, you know, Philadelphia. But even in Philadelphia, they needed to be overcomers. Uh, it wasn't enough to be in the right church. Um, so we try to, you know, encourage the people. You have to believe in Jesus yourself, and you have to live like that's true. Uh, otherwise, you may find yourself uh, hearing his, you know, reproof and rebu re rebuke more than his. Uh, well done, good and faithful servant. So it's not to take things for granted and it's not to be fearful, but it's not to be uh, lukewarm and think that's going to be okay. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> well, thanks, Howard. Um, I'm just going to ask as well, going along the same lines of what we just discussed about the challenges that you face as a congregation, are there really main ones that you would need prayer for or how, is that, how does that look like? Well, one of the ones, of course, is this 
you know, where we can come together despite our cultural differences in you know, the background. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where our focus is on Jesus. Uh, and we tell everybody, look, all of us have come from somewhere. There, there are some who were born in Israel, but most, most not. Uh, we've all come from somewhere. Some of you have come from other Christian denominations and different streams within the body of Christ. Okay, but Jesus has put us here together. What are we going to do about that? You know, are we going to let him do with us that will bring him the honor and glory? Or are we going to break off into our comfort zones and, you know, each of us go and start our own congregation, you know, do what we think is uh, uh, the way, how we get it back wherever we, wherever we came from. And that's how we want to do it here. Uh, he told the Israelis when he brought them out of Egypt, don't do what they did in Egypt and don't do what they're doing in Canaan. You follow me, you obey me. And that's what we need to learn to do here. Uh, wherever we have come from, we're here in a new place, different circumstances, uh, all together. How can we unite around the word of God and how can we learn to love each other and accept each other? Uh, whereas naturally speaking, we may have been enemies, you know, from whatever countries we may have come from or culture groups. So this is always a challenge we have. Um, another one is this leadership issue for the future. Um, we have a few very fine young men and women. Uh, but their priorities right now just don't allow them to, to fully commit to the congregation in a way. I don't mean not having a job. We encourage everyone to get a job. Uh, you need to have a good name outside, it says. So you need a job and you need to make an income. We don't pay, really. Uh, I get the minimum, minimum, <laughs> minimum wage. Yeah, that's that's what I have. I mean, one other person gets the same thing. We don't pay people. Uh, we're not set up that way. We don't have a staff. Uh, we're just lay people trying to serve the Lord. And uh, at some point that could change. But right now, that's not where we're at. And we're not trying to entice people through getting a salary that they would be satisfied with. So we want them to, you know, get a job, get a good name outside, uh, make provision for their family and not be in a bubble of this ministry. Um, so this is a challenge for some people because there's some parachurch groups that do have already invited some of our young people to work with them and they pay them. Uh, and this draws them away sometimes from certain things. They may still come to a service, but they may not be available to serve the congregation at other times because they are being paid to serve this other ministry. That's a parachurch ministry. And sometimes none of those people in that parachurch ministry are in any congregation. Um, so this is, I think, a challenge in our times. I think the Bible, you know, the New Testament speaking to churches, right? Speaking to people in churches is encouraging you to meet together with others. So it's all talking about coming together and not staying away um, and being committed and under authority uh, in the Lord and not just do what you want to do uh, and have your own ministry. But this is the case in many places in Israel, maybe maybe also in England, I don't know. So this is, a, is, is the other big challenge to have some of these young people who feel from the Lord a calling and in God's time you know, to be patient to enter into that calling, you know, if it's a, a, a responsible position of more leadership, okay, be patient. You know, God has his ways of training us to be ready when he says now is the time, uh, not just to take it right away. And certainly not to take it at all. You need, it has to be given to you. So um, yeah. we've had like that uh, also in the past. 
So it's, I don't, again, I don't think we're different, particularly from any other local church uh, in any other country, for that matter. <laughs> uh, that's why there's one book for all of us, you know. Um, so living in an anti-Christian country is a challenge of people walking in the truth of the word of God. Uh, not only knowing doctrine, but living the life. And in a country that simply doesn't uh, accept that, because if there's even a smell of being Christian, you could be Jewish, but if there's any smell of being Christian, you're already being pushed away. Instead of just, no, no, this is this is from the same God who gave us the Messiah and a new covenant. Uh, and this is how he tells us to live in the truth of that. But this is a challenge for everybody. People going to the army here fall mm -hmm. away at a very large percentage in a, in a way that might be similar to people going to college or university in England. Yeah. Uh, they just fall away from the faith or fall away from a strong commitment. And maybe they never had a strong commitment. No. Maybe it was all just their upbringing and they just were taking part, but they never really had a real strong personal relationship with the Lord or really believed that he is all that he is. So that's, that's true. You know, that's possible. So we try to, with our teens program, and there's some free military programs in the country to try to prepare them to get through the military service in the faith, you know, to stay in the faith and don't get drawn off by all the things that people will get drawn off to during that period of life and under the circumstances. And in our own congregation, it's been pretty well, you know, real, all in all. Uh, I can't say 100%, but in general, it's been pretty well. Our son now, Tal, our youngest son, has been asked to help to lead a national pre-military program for believers. Yeah. There will be a nine-month program, which is longer than there's another program already going that's for like two and a half months. But this nine-month program can get more involved in having character development. So he's been asked to help to lead that, and that would probably, for him at least, is one year for certain, probably two years. But what mm -hmm. does that mean? he's not going to be as actively involved in the congregation during these next two years. And he does believe he has a call and a priority that the congregation, the local congregation, Nachalat Yeshua, is where God wants them. So we just, you know, we just have to let that go for these next couple of years. And that's part of the challenge. Okay, Lord, help us through this period because we need these young people to get settled. But he can be getting a lot more experience in this He'll be meeting a lot of other young people now uh, through this program. Uh, other leaders in the country will get to know him better as well. So it'll be a good experience that he can apply uh, when he is back full time uh, in Beersheba. But these are things that we're always having to deal with. Uh, and I don't know when it ends, you know. Uh, so I'm still asking the Lord to give me, you know, the strength and the uh, and the and the impetus I need, you know, to keep going until he doesn't want me to keep going. Uh, there's a song by Robin Mark. You know Robin Mark, right? No, no. Irish, an Irish singer. No. Uh, anyway, okay, very good. Anyway, he's, one of the songs is talking about to an old man, you know, who told you to quit? You know, so I don't want to quit before the Lord tells me to quit. Uh, yeah. But I'm looking, okay, when is this going to come to a place where? Uh, 
it'll be your time and in your way so that there is a continuity that's from you. And that's something that we just uh, did something pragmatic or expedient, but it's not going to have the blessing uh, that's needed. Mm-hmm. So, and people are looking to get, you know, find marriage partners now so that they would find the right ones. We have two or three people right now in the congregation who are, who have girlfriends, for instance, new girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a couple just got married recently so that they're doing, you know, all of this in, in a way that keeps God's favor and blessing upon them. And uh, it will be each one the right person for each other, but that they keep things proper, you know, until until that day. Yeah, sure. I heard you mention about, um, we know Israel has its challenges with being a Christian, but do you think it's, it's, it's got that as far as it is anti-Christian? And if so, and do you feel like your congregation has experienced persecution or do you experience it as an open Christian? Well, we have had as a congregation twice major protests against this. One was 1998 and one was 2005. Uh, in 98, about a thousand or more came against us on the Shabbat right. morning. And in uh, 2005, about 600. After that one, which, which which was more aggressive and more, what to say, violent, you know, and that kind of way more physical, we, we took it to court because we live in Israel. We don't live in New York. You know, what we did was legal. What they did wasn't. Uh, and we lost in court completely, totally. Uh, they haven't bothered us since then. They will again, again, the persecution is going to get worse. Not, it's not yeah. stopping. It's going to get worse at some point, but it, they haven't bothered us uh, since that time. Uh, the verdict was in 2010. So here we, here we are 12 years later and they haven't bothered us uh, uh, since then, even though we lost completely in the court. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, a Jewish country, you know, it's, you know, you know, the Jews are the enemy of the gospel for the Gentile's sake, but still beloved for the Father's sake. And you see it, you see how that's just true. Uh, it doesn't mean that evangelism is legal. That doesn't mean this was not an enemy of the gospel. Uh, you know, you just see it in different ways. Uh, they want what Jesus offers, they don't want him. And that's always been the case, you know, with Israel. They always wanted what, you know, the God of Israel offered. They simply mm-hmm. didn't want to obey him and follow him. We wanted to be like Gentiles. We want a king like the Gentiles have. We don't want a holy God to be ruling over us. And that's the way it still is. So at some point, God's going to say enough is enough and uh, straighten yeah. things out. But in the meantime, the, the, the gospel needs to get preached to Gentiles around the world. So until their fullness comes in, uh, Israel remains partially blinded. And to the Jews, wherever you might be living, uh, but you'll see a lot more Gentiles coming in than you will Jews, because there are a lot more Gentiles, you know, who can come in than there are Jews. But even as a percentage, you're going to see a lot more Gentiles uh, coming in because the fullness hasn't come in. And then Israel is not, will have the blinders removed. So that's still the ongoing Great Commission that hasn't changed. And it won't change until the end of the age. Jesus says, I'm with you until the end of the age. Yeah. Uh, not than that. And we encourage everyone to do personal evangelism we don't we don't organize uh uh campaigns we have had campaigns and we have participated in campaigns over the years 
it's always brought a, a very strong backlash against us or against even a British fellow one time who got deported, uh, who was taking part in one in, uh, in an evangelism campaign. But everybody is responsible, you know, if they're at work, if they're in the army, if they're at school, you know, if they're in the, you know, neighbors sometimes, everybody has an opportunity to tell somebody the truth of the gospel. Uh, you don't have to have a campaign and certainly not just by outsiders coming in and asking you to join them. Uh, so we all need to be able and willing to, you know, to tell the truth of the gospel. The thing is, you need to know the gospel. Uh, I'm amazed yeah. sometimes when I hear people talk about it. They don't, they're not, I say, well, that's not the gospel, what you just said, you know. Um, and when, once recently, a person who says he evangelizes, and he may really have a gift of evangelism because he really enjoys doing that. He goes out. I say, well, tell me what you tell them. Okay. He said that Jesus died. You know, what it says. I said, and do you say that he rose from the dead? No, no, no. They need to know he rose from the dead, too. And uh, not just that he died. Yeah. Uh, he just died, and that's it. <laughs> None of us are, are saved. Um, they need to know he rose from the dead. Um, so it's just things like that. It, it, might, it might sound little, right? It might even sound like you're, you know, you just want every right word to be spoken, but this is a major part of the of the gospel that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Mm. We didn't just kill him. You know, God raised him from the dead so we can be justified by believing in him and what his death meant. Uh, but if he just died, then we murdered him. And there's no, you know, he's just like a lamb at Passover that doesn't get a chance to enjoy his sacrifice. He just got yeah. eaten. <laughs> Whereas Jesus will enjoy the fruit of his sacrifice uh, in, the, in, the, in the time that comes. So it's this sort of thing. And a lot of times people will say they believe in God. They believe in God. They believe in God. I say, well, where's Jesus in this? You know, you have to, well, he, well, he's God. Well, they need to, you need to speak his name. Otherwise, otherwise they won't know who you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and also you need to be able to explain what it means that he is God. You know, you have some people don't believe that he's really God. You need, to, I don't mean amongst unbelievers, I mean amongst believers. But you need to be able to explain from the Old Testament why Jesus is Jehovah in the flesh, uh, even as the son of God. Uh, because the because the Jewish person doesn't want to hear from the New Testament, that's just Christian. You need to be able to know it from the Old Testament, but you, you have to bring his name into it and not mm -hmm. simply assume people. It happened to me in the army here. I would say I believe in the Messiah. No, I believe in God. And see, and I wasn't wearing a keybind. I wasn't wearing the you know the fringes. Yeah. And they thought I was interesting because I'm not wearing you know I'm not I'm not religious and I'm talking about God and the Messiah and all of that. And they didn't know who I was talking about. <laughs> I was amazed. And these are Jews, many of them not from a Western Christianized country. Mm -hmm. I was just amazed. Even when I would say he came 2,000 years ago, you know, you know he's going to come again. They didn't know who I was talking about. And this is what Paul says in Romans. How can they believe in him they haven't heard? I was shocked at how much they had not heard. So the Lord said, you have to mention my name. So when I started doing that, I was no longer an, an, an interesting person. I was a threat. Right. <laughs> but it changed the discussion. Yeah. And at least they knew who I was talking about. Not just hide behind, you know, if I say Messianic Jew, I used to say I'm a Messianic Jew. And I asked some unbelieving uh, girls one time in Haifa on the street, do you know what a Messianic Jew is? I had a book by Lance Lambert that I was reading. Yeah. 
in my pocket. And I said, this is a book by a Messianic Jew. I said, and do you know what that is? Is it Jews that believe in a Messiah? And I said to myself, okay, that's not a good enough description. If that doesn't mean they know I believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. So now I say I'm a Jew that believes in Jesus. Uh, I'll say I'm a Jew because I'm still a Jew. And I was always told you can't be a Jew and believe in Jesus. You're, you're, not, you're no longer a Jew if you believe in Jesus, whether it's from the synagogue or from the church. And after that, if they say, oh, so you're a Christian. I was like, okay. Oh, you're a Messianic Jew. Okay. You're a traitor. Okay. But I believe in Jesus. I'm with him. After that, you can call me what you want. <laughs> you know. But you have to, they have to know who you're talking about. So yeah. today, people are sometimes ashamed or afraid to say who they're talking about. Just want to speak in general terms, and mm. and that's just not uh, not enough. No, <clears throat> it's um, it's something that we struggle with in England as well. That people, there's uh, the people that believe in God, but they don't they don't acknowledge Jesus Christ. It's a completely different story for them when they hear that name. So, uh -huh. I can understand where you're coming through that. <laughs> right. But there are times um, if I'm in England or America, I'll hear people pray in the name of Christ. Yeah, well, there, are false, there are false Christ, you know, right? Mm. The Bible. Which name, which Christ are you talking about? You know, if you don't mention the name of Jesus, yeah. somebody who is just a, uh, a spiritualist, right? Who thinks there's a Christ spirit. That, yeah. that sounds good. <laughs> or Christ, Christ consciousness, I've heard as well. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Yeah. So who are we talking about? Uh huh. So I guess that kind of leads me on to my next question is a bit about your testimony. I was wondering if we could kind of hear how you found Yeshua and how that kind of progressed into how you were, how you are today. <laughs> well, I was raised in a conservative synagogue, you know, uh, that part of Judaism in America is actually an American stream. Mm. Uh, reform began in Europe and Germany and Orthodox, of course, was what the normal thing was until the reform movement came. And in America, they always have a compromise between the two and they came up with conservative. Uh, a little bit of both. That's how we grew up. We maintained a Jewish identity and a Gentile Christian society. Uh, and we experienced anti-Semitism, especially at the social level, if not the governmental level. Uh, and sometimes the Christians would remind us that we're Jews, you know, and we're Christ killers and we're going to hell, and, uh, but they're going to heaven. I, I say, but, but you're not living any differently than I am, you know. You're trying to do the same things in life that I would we would want. No, but I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven. You're a Jew, you go Christ, you're going to hell. Okay. They never said he asked forgiveness. I never heard that from anybody. Uh, doesn't mean I would have believed earlier, but I never heard it from anybody. Hmm. Um, so in growing up, during the Six-Day War in 1967, I was 17 then, I said they're trying to kill us again. Uh, I didn't know why. What did we do this time? And identify with my people. You know, they wanted to attack Israel, destroy Israel. Well, that means me too. So I identify with my people, and I understood I'm a Jew uh, first and an American second. Uh, if my parents had been born in England, you know, living in England, I'd be English and a Jew. I happen to be in America and a Jew. But so I'm a Jew. And that's what that six day war did. But I left the synagogue after that as well, that same year. I told my parents I wasn't going to go to the high holy day seasons uh, 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 services, which yeah. we would do Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I said, we call, we call Christians hypocrites that go to church twice a year. I said, but we do the same thing. 
and I haven't sinned against God. And if I sinned against you, I don't need to go to synagogue and tell you I'm sorry. And I hope I don't do that again. So I stopped going to synagogue when I was 17. I never went back for other than like maybe somebody invited me to a bar mitzvah or a wedding. Mm -hmm. uh, got involved in liberal politics, which is the Jewish religion, I think, in America. Liberal, liberal Jewish politics, liberal mm -hmm. politics. Uh, and trying to make the world better, you know, tikkun olam, they say, to make the world better, fix the world. Uh, a lot of Christians do the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the ones whose hope is in this world. You want it to be better. And you, so after over some years and being involved in different political groups or uh, active in different ways and supporting uh, other things going on, trying to make the world better, it wasn't even getting better in, a, in America. It wasn't even getting, getting better you know, in my own city. Uh, of course, lots of Christians were praying. It wasn't getting better for that either. Mm. So God worked, you know, I met Randy, my wife, in 1979, and she was Christian, you know, and, and Gentile. She wasn't born again. That's probably why she married me. Uh, both of our families were concerned. I was marrying a Gentile, and she was marrying a Jew. Neither one of them were exactly thrilled about it um and god had mercy on us i mean to make, I'm, make, I'm making this a very short story yeah. god, god had mercy on both of us married in a non-jewish and a non-christian ceremony just something that was important to us we did our own ceremony we got legally married that morning but we did our own ceremony later in the day with family and friends and we just did what to us meant something um, and we, I, we had a prayer, you know, I told Randy's father to pray. He wasn't a believer either. I said, pray, but don't give any endorsements. And he understood what I meant, meaning don't pray in the name of Jesus. Uh, right. No one on my side is going to like that. And uh, I'm not going to like it either. So pray to God, but don't, <laughs> don't get too specific. So, but we all kind of understood we're talking about the same God, you know, in the, yeah. in the, and yet we didn't believe in him in the in the same understanding. So uh, after Randy and I got married, we took a bicycle trip around, you know, part of the US, uh, East Coast, West Coast, Southwest. And during that time, God stripped my faith in man away. Uh, I left religion in 1967. I left politics in 1980. Because uh, a particular group I was working with for accountable government uh, got satisfied where it was and they weren't going to go any further. And I said, okay, so that's, that's not going to change or make the world better either. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I was working with the uh, ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union. I don't know if you've heard of that, you know, liberal politics. Mm -hmm. And they said, you can't even say in God we trust, you know, on money. I said, what's the matter with saying God in God we trust? And a lot of the Christians work with the ACLU. So I left them. Uh, and I wasn't a believer, just simply yeah. going too far. The mm -hmm. education system I saw wasn't teaching people to really think or reason. It was teaching you to fit into a particular system. It might be a political system, an economic system, a particular, a, a particular stream within Judaism or Christianity or some other thing. Mm -hmm. you're, you're being taught to fit into that system and don't ask too many questions that 
you know, that are outside your box. So I said, so that's not going to make the world better. You know, some good works people were doing and, and supporting some of them. Well, the world wasn't getting better. And then I wound up at a uh, part-time job, a temporary job in Texas during the winter of uh, 81. And I think a robot could be doing that job today. Uh, and most of the people there were a lot younger. And there's some older women who a lot of them just wanted some more income or something to do. And some young people had been to two years of, of, of college, but they still weren't necessarily speaking a good English sentence or they were using their finger sometimes, you know, to add and subtract. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about things that, to me, I thought we stopped talking that way a long time ago. And they couldn't care less about the things that were bothering me. And I said, this is the future. It does not look good. And America is the best country in the world, I thought, but it's going down rapidly and nothing better is coming up. And uh, and I got a lump in my throat, a lump in my throat. Just, I just stopped what I was doing and uh, just sat there, didn't think of God, uh, didn't think of anything, just my hope in man ran out. Hmm. And a person next to me, Dwight, uh, looked over at me and said, what's the matter, Howard? I said, I don't think I can live 50 more years, see the way the world is going, listening to these people talk about the things they're talking about. I think this is it. This is it. And he said, you won't have to. I said, what do you mean I won't have to? He said, well, God has a plan. <laughs> and Jesus Christ is coming back to make the world right. Yeah. I said, how do you know? He said, well, the Bible, prophecies, current events coming together. So I had all kinds of questions for him, nothing to do with religion, sin, Jesus. Mm. I had questions about history, government, and politics. Uh, and he was the only other person there besides me that had a four-year college university education. So we could talk about certain things that other people there simply uh, were not interested. Mm. Um, so I had all kinds of questions. And then that night I went home to Randy's mother's house where we were staying. And I was agitated, Randy said, about the state of the world. And I had more questions for Dwight. So the next morning I saved him a place uh, across from me that we could work and talk at the same time. Uh, I had more questions about history, government, and politics. And he answered my questions. And I finally said, everything you're saying sounds fine, but what about the Jews and the chosen people and all of that kind of stuff? And he said, they are. And I said, what do you mean they are? Because I heard growing up that we were chosen to bring, you know, a Christ into the world. We killed them. And that's that. Done. Finished. God had nothing more to do with us. We, we completed the thing he chose us for. So now we're done. I'd heard that before. And we went to a church service with Randy's mother two weeks before this. And that day, the preacher said, the Jews killed Christ. And God is finished with the Jews. All your sinners come up here and repent. Now, I've heard that all my life, but I'm hearing it right two weeks before this. And then just before we went married, we went to talk to a progressive rabbi beyond reform liberal. Uh, I wanted Randy just to get something about Judaism. Uh, And this ACLU director said that this is where she and her husband goes. He'll talk to anybody. So we went and Randy asked, who's a Jew? And this rabbi said, anybody that wants to be a Jew can be a Jew. She said, I don't believe that. 
you either born a Jew or you're not. You might convert to the Jewish religion, but it doesn't make you a Jew. And then I heard about some Jews who were, you know, believed in Jesus. And I heard about this organization, Jews for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Bob Dylan had fairly recently become a believer in Jesus. And I said, okay, what about these? So I said to him, he says, anybody that wants to be a Jew can be a Jew. I said, what about these Jews who say they believe in Jesus? And they're still Jews. Because I had always been brought up and I came to my own conclusion. If you're a Jew that believes in Jesus, you're either a bad Jew or you're not a Jew anymore. So this rabbi, when I says, what about these? He says, you, his whole face changed and hardened. You cannot be a Jew and believe in Jesus Christ. I said, okay, I'm only asking. Uh, so these two things had been you know, from the synagogue and from the church, what I'd always heard come to bear, and it didn't matter when the uh, <laughs> word of truth, the word of life, cuts right through it all. So Dwight, when he asked me, uh, about so what is a Jew and I asked him so what do you mean by this he said what's a Jew I said I'm a Jew and his face expressed surprise uh and I and he said okay so what's a Jew I I don't know exactly what I told him but probably we believe in one God not in Jesus uh whatever else I might have said he said okay but basically a Jew is a descendant of Abraham Isaac and Jacob I said okay I learned that you know uh in the synagogue and uh I said what about the chosen people and he began to explain to me why we're the chosen people. And I'm listening to him, and he understood something that we ourselves didn't. Uh, and what he was saying was good, and it had a future. So I said to myself that Jesus Christ must be who he is, mm-hmm. that Jesus Christ must be who he is. And God gave me a spirit, and everything changed in a moment of time. And uh, Four things became very clear. I was still Jewish. Uh, The Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament is the word of God. Jesus is coming again soon. And I heard God say, go to Israel. So our conversation changed and people are looking around this office know what's going on over here. But I had, before we left that day, I had two more questions for Dwight. I said, Dwight, I've heard if you become a believer in Jesus, you have to get baptized. So what do I do? And he suggested I call what was a Hebrew Christian fellowship. Now there was a Messianic Jewish. It was work, it was part of chosen people ministries. Right. He said, you might want to call them. He didn't say, come with me and talk to my pastor. He said, you might want to call them. And then I said, also, I hear if you become a believer in Jesus, you have to repent. I said, so if you think you're living your life in the right direction, you know, God's chosen me twice, do I need to repent? Now, living my life in the right di- right direction got me to zero. So, you know, so, so he just said, you, you, you need to look a little deeper. Well, I don't know, I, you know, I didn't do yoga and stuff. I didn't know what that might mean, but I went back and started to read the Bible. I had the word of God and I was reading something probably in Genesis this is, I got saved on a Friday, the 13th, Valentine's weekend. Mm-hmm. And Randy, when she saw what happened to me, she also committed herself to the Lord that same Friday. So on the Saturday, I'm reading the Bible. And uh, I come to some verse, I can't remember which, talking about sin, I don't know what, but that verse stopped me. And I just said, okay, Lord, you're right. Just show me why. And in his own marvelous way, 
He showed me not only that he's right, but there's wisdom in his being right. Mm. He knows what sin is. He just wants to get it before it goes anywhere. <coughs> so I'm thinking, great. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. You know, I'm talking to him. I'm asking questions. He's answering me. But I'm not a sinner. Like sinners are sinners. So the uh, next day, Sunday, we're walking down the street. We're at his home talking about what's going on. And the Holy Spirit said, Jesus died for you and because of you and your sins has brought you home to your father in heaven. And that broke me. <laughs> so he worked pretty fast. And uh, we got baptized the following Saturday in a private swimming pool of an older couple that was at that church service where the preacher said, God's finished with the Jews. <laughs> that, that preacher didn't come. I invited him. He didn't come to the baptism. I'm, I was there. It's too much for him, I think. Here I am. I'm a Jew. I'm still a Jew. And he had said, God's finished with the Jews. Um, so he didn't come. Anyways, we got, we got baptized together by a Jewish uh, pastor. Uh, and went back to Arizona for five months because we made a commitment to a particular project there. And then we came to Israel in September of 81. Um, and that's how we got over here. So since then, we've had four children, two daughters and two sons. We have five grandchildren right now through our second daughter who got married first. She got married in 2010 to another Jewish believer uh, here in Israel. He's from the States, though. Our other three children, our oldest daughter and our two sons, all got married in 2020 during the COVID year. Um, the oldest daughter just before COVID hit and the other two in the middle of it all. So that was great. And uh, they married no believers. Our children are all baptized, thankfully, and active in their own way in the churches or other ministries and their uh, spouses, too. So we're very thankful. It's just the grace of God. We're not, uh, you know, when I, when I hear Jesus tell, and this is what changed, helped me a whole lot. Because when you read in the Bible, you know, God wants people to have, let's say, good character. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to be a deacon or an elder, <laughs> that's what he requires. Now, everybody's going to be a deacon and an elder. But that's, nonetheless, he would want this in anybody. Not just if you want to be a deacon and an elder, you, you need to be, be a, have good character. No, he wants all of us to have good character. Yeah. So when Jesus says, talking to the crowd, you fathers being evil, know how to give your, you know, children the right thing. When they're asking. You're not going to give them, you know, a stone for bread, for instance. Uh, how much more your heavenly father who will give the Holy Spirit for those who ask. Okay, he said to these people in general, you fathers being evil. Mm -hmm. Okay, Lord, I'm evil. I'm, a, I'm not going to be a good father. I want you to help me that you are going to become their father. Yeah. But it won't stop with me. It'll come to you. So he was merciful. They have a good mother. <laughs> but they have a perfect father up there. Yeah. And uh, so we're very, very thankful. And uh, uh, see. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I love how uh, eager you were to 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 kind of want to make a change in the world. And God used that and changed it into being eager for him. And I feel that God you kind of works in that way that things that you're you think you're passionate about, he'll turn into being passionate about him. Right. 
or his words and i, I think that's wonderful to so uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, that is true. Right now, the kingdom of God, you know, the mm. kingdoms of this world. Yeah, so it's still political science. You see, it's still international relations, intergalactical. You know, it's so it really is something that you know uh, I was passionate about in my own way that he's you know changed and made it more meaningful now. Uh, you know, his kingdom versus the kingdoms of this world. So yeah, I thank him for that. You know. So, uh, so even though I didn't make my studies career-based, you know, I didn't get money from them, but it's what I was interested in. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that's what I tell people now, study what you're interested in. Uh, don't just study what is the current, you know, money maker or something or mm. best, best opportunities for a career. If you're not interested in it, don't, don't go in it. Study what's interesting to you. And if you're a believer, then trust the Lord is going to use it yeah <clears throat> no there's a lot of people um especially young people they'll just do university or college just because it's the end thing to do yeah no. so yeah no I, I agree with that i'm just moving on to our, our kind of final question is do you have any other prayer requests that you didn't mention before or is there anything that you wanted to share with our prayer partners about your work <coughs> I don't think anymore because these are just like ongoing. This is an ongoing mm -hmm. need. It won't be something that next week the prayer will get answered. Yeah. Uh, so this matter of the leadership and this matter of uh, just helping us, you know, fulfill what God, what the Lord started this congregation for back yeah. in 1972. Because um, there, there, there are lots of other congregations in Beersheba now, mostly Russian speaking, also two or three Spanish. But we have rushed and then we have Spanish in our own congregation. Uh, but somehow that we will continue to be a viable, you know, congregation, hopefully working in cooperation as appropriate with these other people in the city. Uh, it's going to be necessary at some point and that we'd be ready for that and uh, that together we'll serve a larger community in the city and not necessarily only confined to the people in our congregation, congregation but I still believe that there's the autonomy of a local church. Yeah. Uh, just like each family is autonomous, but they have social relationships with other families and the, uh, members of those families. But it doesn't take away the the integrity of your own particular family. So, again, not everybody might agree with that. So I can't. I'm just saying that's what I would like to see in the future of this congregation. Yeah. That we, we maintain who we are, but we also larger bigger than just who we are and that the lord uh, will find us able to use you know in that way yeah and perhaps as well pray for your son and his work that he's doing because it sounds i know that the idf there's a lot of a lot of you know trouble with with christians and people get persecuted there and like is there a lot of people that fall away from their faith so that's definitely i think a, a good a good reason for prayer there yeah, thank you. Yeah, because it is, and this program has to get grounded. This first yeah. year is critical because they they want to get support from the government, which is willing to do that. But this first year is critical that everyone who's who does it this year they had to get eighteen candidates mm -hmm. who would finish the nine months, and they had about eighty applicants. Wow. They had to narrow it down to whom they thought they could, they they felt confident about. They would finish these nine months and that just stopped short. 
Uh, otherwise, the government will say, no, we're, we're not going on with it. It's not, it's not viable enough. So that's a big thing. Then next year, uh, just to make that solid, and then he'd be freer, he thinks, to, to get out from it. Yes, yeah, so thank you very much. Tal is his name. Yeah. T-A-L. Perfect. Well, <clears throat> thank you, Howard, and thanks again for joining us. It's been awesome to, to hear a bit about your testimony and what you're doing over there. Uh, I think we'll wrap it up here. So we're nearly at an hour. So. <laughs> okay. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Okay. Shalom. 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 <laughs>